Greetings, and welcome to At Home with Economics. I'm your host, Bo Garcia, Dean of Community Education and Workforce Development at Lansing Community College. At Home with Economics is a space where we explore business, workforce, and community development initiatives and how they impact our daily lives. Today, we will be interviewing Dr. Charlie Ballard. Dr. Ballard joined the economics faculty at Michigan State University in 1983 when he received his PhD from Stanford University. During his career at MSU, he taught 35,000 students. In 2007, he won the Outstanding Teacher Award in MSU's College of Social Science. From 2007 until 2020, he was director of the State of the State Survey in MSU's Institute for Public Policy and Social Research. He is immediate past chair of the board of directors of the Michigan League for Public Policy. He has served as a consultant with the U.S. Departments of Agriculture, Health and Human Services, and Treasury, and with research institutes in Australia, Denmark, and Finland. His books include Michigan at the Millennium and Michigan's Economic Future. Welcome, Dr. Ballard, and thank you for being with us today. Thanks very much. Glad to be here. Thanks. Oh, great. Well, now, Dr. Ballard, when you were a guest on the show a couple of years ago, Goldman Sachs had kind of expressed that there was, a, at that point, about a 38% chance of a recession. What's happened that helped us avert that recession? You know, there were uh, lots of analysts who thought more than that, you know, that it was better than 50-50 that we would have a recession. Uh Uh, This was the most often predicted recession that at least not yet has has happened. Uh, I think a couple things. One, I got to give some credit to the Federal Reserve. They have this mandate to try to maintain stable prices. And so when the inflation developed, they had to take steps to try to slow down the economy. Mm -hmm. But I think they did it in a measured way. Uh, Mm -hmm. They didn't slam on the brakes. They Mm -hmm. tapped on the brakes. Mm. So that's that's one thing. The other is that supply kept up. The productive side of the economy grew fast, Mm -hmm. uh, faster than a lot of us expected. I think a lot of workers came back. Mm -hmm. I think some workers who had been working remotely came back to the office mm-hmm. or, or to the, the plant, mm-hmm. and, and some who had dropped out of the labor force came back into the labor force. That eased some of the supply restrictions. And businesses did a good job, I think, of rebuilding the supply chains that were disrupted mm-hmm. during COVID. So I think it was a bunch of things, but productivity of the business sector improved very rapidly in 2023. And mm-hmm. that's a good sign. And that that gives you extra room mm-hmm. to keep the economy going mm-hmm. while still moderating prices. Wow, so it was, a, it was a combination of public, private sector, workforce, um, supply chain, number of variables that kind yeah. of came together. Yeah, I think the one, the one that was the most pleasant surprise was how rapid productivity and production increased. We didn't know whether that was going to happen. It did. That really made it a much better situation. Yeah. Okay. You know, I, I, I caught your presentation at the Michigan Business Network, and you had a chance to elaborate on that. And that was one of the things that resonated was our, our productivity in particular uh, in Michigan. So kind of along those lines, Dr. Ballard, what strengths do you think Michigan has that kind of helps insulate us from economic downturns or conversely, you know, what weaknesses do you think we have that make us a little more vulnerable to economic downturns? Well, uh, unfortunately, I think I'm going to start with the weaknesses. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is something that has been a, a, a challenge for the Michigan economy going back for a century, really. We used to have a an economy that was extremely heavily dominated by manufacturing. Mm-hmm. 
for better or worse, and I think partly for worse, uh, the manufacturing sector has not done as well as a lot of others. Mm -hmm. And so we are much less dependent on manufacturing than we used to. Mm -hmm. Nevertheless, we are still much more into that than the average of the country. And in particular, durable goods manufacturing. And of course, uh, automobiles leads leads the way. Mm -hmm. Well, the thing about durable goods, especially a big ticket item like a car, you can put off buying a new car. Yeah. Uh, unless your your old car just completely dies, right. you don't have to get a new one. Right. And you can't put off going to the grocery store. <laughs> so point. so there are certain sectors of the economy that are more sensitive to the business cycle. And mm-hmm. and the auto sector is near the top of the list of sectors that are uh, sensitive. So we have going back for decades and decades. Boom times are very good for Michigan. Right. Downturns are very rough for us. The ugliest downturns were 1982. That was a a time when we had an episode of inflation. The Federal Reserve stomped on the brakes. We Mm -hmm. did get a recession, but we did get out of the inflation. Um, And then again in the the Great Recession of earlier in this century, 2008, 2009, the year that uh, GM and Chrysler went bankrupt. Very, very difficult year for our state's economy. And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, as, as long as we're heavily dependent on durable goods manufacturing, that, that's going to continue to be a challenge for sure. Michigan's economy. What helps insulate us? Well, all the other things that aren't so significantly <laughs> right. uh, sensitive uh, right. help insulate us from the downturns. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of a two sides of the same coin, huh? You know, yeah, yeah. what we're dependent upon it, is gives us a shape, but at the same time makes us like, it, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's shaky ground there. Kind of along those lines, what discouraging and encouraging trends do you kind of see emerging in the uh, in the economy that should give us some confidence or cause concern uh, for us in the future here in Michigan, do you think? Yeah, in Michigan and elsewhere. Um, you know, the, the trends that I mentioned, um, strong workforce growth, mm-hmm. strong increases in productivity, those are all good. And I I don't have any reason to believe that they will stop. Mm-hmm. Of course, predicting the future, you know, you're, you're asking me for my predictions. <laughs> right. let, let me quote one of my favorite quotes from Yogi Berra, uh, the, the, the great sage <laughs> Yogi guy. Berra. He said, <laughs> it's tough to make predictions, especially about the future. <laughs> I know. Classic. <laughs> so, uh, um, true. <laughs> you know, I mean, we, uh, there are so many things going on. Like, for instance, Often at the end of a year, I would talk to a reporter or go on a show like yours, and they'd say, what's going to happen next year? (laughs) And at the end of 2010, I, you know, I said, well, I think we'll limp through. We'll do okay in 2011. Neither I nor any other economist predicted that there would be an earthquake and tsunami in Japan that would mess up the whole Pacific supply chain for Mm -hmm. for many months. But you can't predict earthquakes, and you can't predict all sorts of other things. Uh, You know, um, (laughs) I look at Ukraine, uh, Gaza Strip, Iran and Pakistan bombing each other, the Houthi rebels bombing ships in in the Red Sea. I mean, Mm. there are a lot of things in the world economy that so far in the world situation Mm -hmm. uh, that haven't really damaged the U.S. economy. But there could be spillovers that would be negative for us from Mm -hmm. all these things. And China's real estate sector imploding. And of course, we have very little control about these things that are beyond our borders. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I I, I think 
if we continue to work hard and businesses continue in, to innovate and, and young people continue to get an education, we, we got a pretty good chance. Yeah, yeah. You know, you're, you're right. It could be any one single significant event or a combination of multiple small events that just tips that scale in the direction that, you know, could set off a chain event of who knows what, who knows where. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I mean, uh, hard to predict, but... The good news is that in the last year, especially, especially in 2023, but Mm -hmm. even before that, in late 2022, the U.S. economy performed, I think, significantly better than most economists, including me, Mm -hmm. thought it would. I mean, if if you had asked me a year and a half ago for Mm -hmm. my prediction, I would have made some predictions. And I thought there was a better than 50-50 chance that Mm -hmm. we would have a recession, or at least that we would come closer to a recession than we have. Sure. But uh, so far, it hasn't happened. Now, the economy has slowed down, but that that had to happen Mm -hmm. because some of it was just the rapid growth that you would expect on a rebound coming out of the COVID recession. Mm -hmm. Um, And now that so many workers have come off the sidelines, there isn't as large a pool of new workers Mm -hmm. to Mm. to fill the gap. Mm-hmm. So I think we're poised for, if we're a little bit lucky, mm-hmm. for continued modest growth. Probably not as fast as 2023, which was an exceptional year, a year that, as I say, exceeded the expectations of an awful lot of us. Yeah, yeah. Fascinating. I mean, uh, what you said about productivity, going back to that, it, recently Michigan has been able to recruit and grow a number of companies in the uh, in the past, such as Altium Cells, even right here in Lansing, about 1,700 jobs. And uh, we're helping train every one of them here at LCC, actually. What do you think the state of Michigan can do to kind of continue to be appealing and attractive to industry that is looking for new locations to grow their companies or, or, or open new facilities and plants? I mean, it's highly competitive out there. We compete in South Carolina, Texas, Tennessee. So everybody's just slugging it out out there. We have a tremendous asset here with the MEDC and Quint Messner and his team. I've been a guest on the show as well. You know, what what, what can we do? And what what do you think is like Michigan's competitive edge to kind of help attract, retain? Yeah, I, I think that one at least potential competitive edge for Michigan is one that we need to just keep emphasizing again and Mm -hmm. again and again to ourselves and to the rest of the world. And that is that this is a great place to live. Right. We got one-fifth of the world's fresh water. Yeah. Uh, We have a... A variety of seasons. Yes. Uh, yep. I don't. I grew up in Texas, so I'm not a huge <laughs> fan of winter. But when I talk Uh-oh. to my sister in Austin in the summer, and it's 107 there, I'm glad that I'm here in Michigan. <laughs> right on. And in fact, it hasn't happened on a large scale. But uh-huh. anecdotally, there are stories. I have a college classmate who spent most of her life in Texas, and she mm-hmm. and her husband retired to Traverse City area oh, yeah. because they couldn't take the heat in Dallas. Yeah. So that, you know, the quality of life. Mm-hmm. Remember, businesses are interested in their bottom line. Right. But the executive wants to be able to go to the theater. They want to go to a nice restaurant. They want to have parks and mm-hmm. recreation. They want their children to have good educational mm-hmm. opportunities. Mm-hmm. And so uh, one thing that I really emphasize that I think we need to do a lot more of is in the sector that you and I are involved mm-hmm. in, yeah. higher education. Right. You know, the archetype 
of the, the successful Michigan worker of 50 years ago was somebody who fastened the same four bolts 107 times an hour. Right. Simple, repetitive tasks. Mm-hmm. Now the archetype is somebody who programs the computer that runs the robots mm-hmm. that fasten those bolts. Mm-hmm. It's a more highly skilled, yep. and in a lot of cases it takes at least an associate's degree, right. maybe a bachelor's degree, a, a, some kind of training certificate, an apprenticeship or something. It takes beyond high school. Right. And we have, I think, unfortunately, lagged behind the national average in right. uh, higher educational attainment. I've taken the statistics back to 1940, and we were below the national average then, wow. and we're still below. Wow. So I think educating our young people. Now, of course, the fruits of those investments won't be born yeah. next week. They'll be born next decade. Yeah. But I think we need to continue along those lines. And you mentioned the MEDC. You know, honestly... I wish we didn't need an MEDC. I wish we did. I, I, I wish. I wish that the world knew about all the good things in Michigan without somebody to make that phone call right. to put together. But I guess we do because yeah. the and so and so you know uh, we, we have to continue to have people who put together the package, yeah. who know who to call, yeah. who can talk with the people in. Arizona who are thinking of an investment or mm-hmm. in Germany who are thinking of an investment, but also know the local economy. We need those people to put things together. So it's a bunch of factors. I'm cautiously optimistic. I mean, I've lived two thirds of my life in Michigan and I'm glad I have. It's, it's yeah. a great place to live. Right. I think we need to, we need to blow our horn more than we do. I'm a big fan right of the now. pure Michigan campaign, uh, reminding us of the quality of life. Cause that's, yeah. that's a big deal. That's what, what a value proposition. You're so right. Because at the end of the day, you know, we're more than our jobs and, and people need a, a life that they can enjoy, you know, before 8 a.m. and after 5 p.m. And, you know, Michigan and the mid-Michigan region in particular, so it's beautiful. You know, we have a our, our Michigan State University down the road, LCC, you know, state capital. I couldn't agree with you more. And I'm delighted that, you know, it is a team, you know. It's education and, and government and private sector and and other, you know, organizations, nonprofits, et cetera, that improve the quality of life and standard of living of so many in our community. So thank you for that. And and, and here's where I ask you to bring out your crystal ball. <laughs> my, my, my crystal ball that's uh, <laughs> just as foggy as as what I drove through to come right. here, here to the studio this morning. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's like London outside right now. Um, yeah, so in relation to inflation and interest rates, you know, what, what are your thoughts? I mean, like I said, I know that is way out there. I mean, again, lots of things can happen. Yeah. But uh, with a little luck, I think that inflation ha- will continue to moderate. The core rate of inflation for the inflation measure that the Federal Reserve pays the most attention mm-hmm. to, consumer price index is very well known, but it's yeah. viewed by economists as not being as reliable as some other indexes. Uh-huh. The one that they pay attention to is, for the last six months, it's at 2%. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's their target. That's the upper end of their target. Their target is between zero inflation and 2%. Wow, okay. uh, when when you look at we were in the high single digits, uh-huh. uh, not much more than a year ago, right. um, bring it down to two is, is really good. Yeah. And I don't see any reason, barring something unforeseen, some calamity. Yeah. Um, who knows? Another. I, I hope we don't have another pandemic, but I can't right. guarantee that it won't happen. Sure. So um, barring bad luck, 
I think inflation will continue to moderate. Mm-hmm. And that would mean that interest rates would also drift downward. Now, okay. historically, when interest rates go up, mm-hmm. they go up a lot faster than they come down. Mm. That's because lenders, for obvious reasons, they don't want to get stuck. Mm-hmm. And if if there's been an inflationary episode, that means that they've lost money on some of their outstanding loans. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, we had this big inflation in the late 70s. By the middle 80s, mm-hmm. the inflation had moderated to very low levels. Mm-hmm. And yet I remember when I, the first time that I bought a house, which was <laughs> in 1985, mm-hmm. it was a 12% mortgage. Wow. Uh, so the, oh. the the interest rates are likely, but but fortunately the well twelve percent. My parents bought a house in nineteen eighty one at seventeen and a half. Oh wow! Um, so fortunately, the interest rates now are nowhere near that. Right. And I believe they're likely, if we're lucky, to continue drifting downward. But I don't think they're gonna fall like a rock. They're gonna they're up like a rocket, down like a feather. There you go. That's uh, that's my prediction for the interest. And and you know, I could be wrong. But you know, but then yeah, that that sounds about right. I love that analogy. Up like a rocket, down like a feather. Yeah, yeah. And it's 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 careful. It's measured. It allows for anything that could possibly uncontrollables. It might drift into the economy, you know, so so then having to spike the rates again. So, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Last question, you know, Dr. Ballard, could you share your thoughts? And as you said, kind of, but we're both in education, so, you know, uh, this is near and dear to us. The thoughts on the causes and potential solutions of the uh, increasing gap between the, uh, the richest and poorest in the U.S. over the past 40, 50, 60 years? Okay, uh- you know, I hope you'll have me back again because this is yes. so, this is a topic that we could devote an entire episode. In fact, this is the central topic of Economics 495 at Michigan State University, really? Economics of Poverty and Income oh. Distribution, which I taught 10 times, including each of the last five years of my career. Okay. I think the phenomenal increase in inequality of mm-hmm. income and wealth it's arguably the biggest story of the U.S. economy in my lifetime. There are other big stories, uh, phenomenal growth of digital electronics and so on. But it's certainly a huge story. And I want to contrast the last 40 years with the oh, 60 years or so that came before that. Mm-hmm. Because earlier in the 20th century, there was a phenomenal decrease in inequality. The, wow. the gap between rich and poor got dramatically lower, especially in the 1940s, but really all the way from, uh, by some measures, from the late 20s all the way through the late 60s or early 70s, okay. most notably in the, in wow. the 40s. Really? Uh, and I think most Americans are aware that there's been an increase in inequality in the last 40 or so years. Mm-hmm. Most Americans, I don't think are aware that there was an equally large decrease in inequality before that. I had no idea. Well, uh, well, there's a book that's on my list for retirement, and and, and look for it on your shelves in about five or seven years, I hope. I hope. (laughs) uh, All right. Looking uh, forward to it. Uh, called the fall and rise of inequality. That's my that's my oh, my fantastic. byline. The fall and rise because it was a dramatic fall. How did it happen? Well, some of it was global phenomena that mm-hmm. were not associated with any law passed by Congress and signed by a president. Okay. Some of it. Mm-hmm. 
but an awful lot of it was just policies. Mm-hmm. In the progressive era, so, uh, the, uh, and even before, especially in the New Deal, policies were aimed at helping the, the bottom 99% more than the top 1%. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And in the last 40 years, a lot of those policies were either slowed down or reversed. Mm. And policies have been tilted very much toward the top 1% mm-hmm. with <laughs> with predictable consequences. Yeah. You change your laws to help the super rich, yeah. the super rich are going to do well. Right. So let me just rattle off the yeah. huge number. 1862, uh-huh. the Moral Land Grant College Act, modeled <laughs> after Michigan Agricultural College, mm-hmm. um, and the Homestead Act, mm. which provided cheap farms for several million Americans. Hmm. And you look at the parts of the country that were settled with the Homestead Act, Iowa, Nebraska, Mm -hmm. those are places that don't have concentrations of poverty. Mm -hmm. Is that right? The concentrations of poverty are in other parts of the country where Mm -hmm. we didn't have that kind of solid middle class uh, then the the antitrust laws and mm-hmm. b- regulation of biz- big business to okay. try to control the the excesses of big business. Mm-hmm. Then progressive taxation, mm-hmm. the gr- the progressive income tax, the corporation tax, the mm-hmm. estate tax. Mm-hmm. Those were all passed in a eight year period uh, around the time of the first World War. Okay. Then you got. Um, in the Roosevelt administration, mm-hmm. better regulation of financial services, mm-hmm. the uh, Fair Labor Standards Act established a minimum wage, okay. and for the next 30 years, the minimum wage was increased faster than inflation. Wow. Since 1968, it has not kept up with inflation. Yeah. Um, you have the National Labor Relations Act, which made it a lot easier for unions to organize successfully, mm-hmm. and union membership skyrocketed in the late 30s mm-hmm. and into the 40s. Mm-hmm. Then... There was a pullback. The Taft-Hartley Act of 1947 made it mm-hmm. harder for labor unions, mm-hmm. and labor unions have shrunk as a proportion mm-hmm. of the workforce mm-hmm. for the last 70 years. Uh, there's probably others. That, oh, oh, explosion of educational opportunity in the mm-hmm. early 20th century That's and it. all the way into the middle of the 20th century. Mm-hmm. Since then, educational attainment has continued to increase, but not as rapidly. Mm-hmm. So we had very progressive taxations through the 40s and 50s. Right. And then in the last uh, much of my lifetime, mm-hmm. income tax rates on the, the most affluent have come down. Mm-hmm. The estate tax rate has come way down. Mm-hmm. The corporate tax rate has come way down. And yeah. so all of those were aimed at having the more affluent mm-hmm. pay relatively more of yeah. the taxes. Sure. And that has been that trend has been reversed mm-hmm. with predictable consequences mm-hmm. of a wider gap between rich and poor. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. Econ four ninety five. We'll have to put that one on the <laughs> on the list. Charlie, a lot more to say. Charlie, that was that was fascinating. I learned more in the last five minutes than I, than I think and, and, and than I did in, in my econ classes. I can't tell you how much I appreciate that. It was super insightful. And I'm sure our guests are gonna appreciate that because that really does speak to kind of how we got to where we are. Yeah. And perhaps a roadmap for how we kind of find our way out of this. And you can tell, I think, from my tone of voice, I like the income distribution that we had fifty years ago yeah. more than the unequal one that we have now. Yeah. And if it were up to me, I would, well, 
go back to some of the policies of Franklin Roosevelt. Honestly, sure. I would raise the minimum wage. I would strengthen labor unions. I would yeah. put more resources into educational opportunity. I would have more progressive taxes yeah. and so on. Now, I know there are a lot of people who are, who are probably listening and they're saying, <laughs> string that guy up. He, 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 that's he, heresy. He, that's, that's, that's awful. But, but, oh, that's, that's, you yeah. know, people can disagree, but that's, that's my view, and those yeah. kind of policies, I think, would move in the direction of lessening the phenomenal income inequality and wealth inequality that we have now. Right on. I could not agree with you more. I'm looking forward to your book, The Full... The Fall and Rise. The Fall and, the rise. Fall and rise of Inequality. <laughs> Absolutely. Seven years. Okay, I'm, I'm going <laughs> okay, okay. to yeah. set the clock. Pencil it in for 2030 <laughs> or sometime around there. Oh, my gosh. Well, Charlie... What a pleasure to speak with you today. And you know, thanks for sharing this great information, how we can work together to improve our state and regional economy. I, I can't thank you enough. Well, you're welcome. And thank you for inviting me. Thank you all so much for the pleasure and privilege of your time. At Home with Economics is a space where we explore business, workforce, and community development initiatives and how they impact our daily lives. This has been your host, Bo Garcia. Have a tremendous day. Connecting you with Lansing Community College, this is LCC Connect. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. Coming in April to Dart Auditorium. Lansing Community College presents My Emperor's New Clothes by Larry Shu. This musical play for children of all ages is adapted from the story by Hans Christian Andersen. Colorful, brightly comic, and a truly delightful treat. This lively theater piece is filled with funny lines, hummable songs, and fast-paced action. Performances April 5th through the 13th. For more information, visit lcc.edu slash show info. Just now, another kid dropped out of school. There's one every 20 seconds, over 200 kids an hour. That adds up to nearly 5,000 kids every school day. If we do nothing, 3.5 million kids won't receive a diploma over the next four years. But there is someone who can change that. And that someone is you. United Way knows that kids who have a caring adult in their life are more likely to make it. So make a pledge. Tutor a child who needs help. Mentor a kid who needs someone on their side. Volunteer to read to children. Because the path to success or failure starts long before graduation day. And the difference between a graduate and a dropout could be you. Take the pledge to volunteer now at unitedway.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. The Lansing Community College Foundation provides scholarships that make education possible, change students' lives, and uplift our community. The foundation annually accepts scholarship applications from November through January. Learn more at lcc.edu scholarships. LCC. Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. Welcome to Headroom, where we discuss all things essential to mental health and well-being. I'm your host, Jim Owens, a licensed professional counselor at Lansing Community College. 
Before we begin, I'd like to emphasize that this podcast does not constitute psychotherapy. It does, however, introduce you to some phenomenal people who have incredible ideas for you and your life. Having said that, let's get into the headroom today and begin today's conversation with Felipe Lopez Sustaida, Associate Dean of Support Services at LCC. Welcome. Thank you so much, Jim. It's a pleasure to be here today with you. I appreciate you coming on, and I know you have a professional training and background in mental health, and maybe we'll get into that a little bit, but I'm just excited for students and the rest of the community to hear a little bit about you, your journey into college, how you persisted, and what you've learned, gleaned from your own life and working with people in many different places and on different continents, kind of what's essential for mental health. So tell us a little bit about yourself. So Felipe Lopez Ustaita, I am uh, the youngest of eight. I, uh, my parents, I'll just mention them so that they, yeah. you know, they're in this space as well. Felipe Lopez Rocha and Magdalena Lopez Ustaita. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were both born in San Luis Potosí, this, this village called Conchas Concepcion. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the beginnings for us, right? And mm-hmm. um, my father was a bracero. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that. Jim, I'm not. No, tell me. These are the folks that... Back when World War was happening, yeah. they needed workers, right? Because a lot of the men went to to fight the yeah. war, and so they needed um, workers to work the fields. And okay. so my father mm-hmm. was was brought here, and um, he worked as a young man. I think as wow. as young as seventeen, eighteen. Wow. And so those those are kind of my beginnings. And you know, obviously we were in, in a lot of poverty in in Mexico, mm-hmm. so that's why we all came to this country in search of a better life yeah. to, to America, and just in search of a better life. Yeah, in America. So that's kind of, um, kind of in a nutshell, who, who you know where I come from. Yeah. Um, but I was a migrant worker, right? So farm workers, we move Tennessee, Georgia, Michigan. Yeah. And so, we just work the fields. Um, yeah. And that's kind of you know in a nutshell, kind of who I am. You're still working the fields. It's just the fields are, they're not agricultural, they're academic. I think and their students is the harvest or their futures. I think it's important that you highlighted your roots and you started with the roots of your family. I I think sometimes, and I I won't speak for everyone, but largely in American culture, we're looking forward, not necessarily back. Here's what I want to achieve. Here's what I want. Here's my dream that we're all working on the American dream, if you will. But your American dream that you have realized you're an author, you have a PhD, you've excelled in many ways. Um, you're rooted in something though. And to highlight your roots, yes. how important is roots to you? And do you think it sh- kind of other people should pay attention to that a little bit? Yeah. I think for me, uh, you know, when people ask me, Hey, do you feel like you've made it right. all this stuff or how do you do all these stuff? Cause it's really, really difficult. Yeah. I always go back to my why, mm-hmm. right? So th- that's the reason I started with how I started mm-hmm. my why is is my family my ancestors right yeah. and and i am looking to the future I, I, everything i do is for my grandkids that i haven't even met right right so but i'm kind of in the middle right i'm i'm very focused on where i come from and of course where i'm where i'm going because everything is for my my children now yeah. and for a better better life for my grandkids so it, it's super important to me um that's why i never I never start with titles or yeah. or this because we're all human, right? At the end of yeah. the day, I think society judges so many people based on success. Mm-hmm. And and sometimes we overlook the folks that do not have that degree, but they have life experience. Oh, right? yeah. And so with with mental health, you know, I am I am a social worker like and I've always been even before I had the title. Yeah. 
but this book that was very uh it was an amazing book by victor frankel yeah um uh, man search i can't man search for meaning for meaning yes and he you know he talks about how when you don't have a lot of stuff like a job or something that can create like barriers in your mind yeah and so that that was very powerful to me because i think people think of status and all this as like success but that's not really the way i look at the world yeah i think you probably would define it more in terms of purpose purpose yes you could be you know there's people taking risk every single day right like they show up to our campus yeah and um i i tell you and i tell the rest of our staff that when i see somebody come in Mm -hmm. they might have all these barriers but i see like Nobel prize winners i see future governors i see future state representatives yeah and so to me that purpose Mm -hmm. is is bigger than than Mm -hmm. anything right Mm -hmm. and so that mindset of like um Hmm. yeah that like that's super important Mm -hmm. to me and that's what Mm -hmm. i bring to the world is like hope Mm -hmm. right one word it's hope yeah that is the word I most associate with you. And actually, when we were preparing to walk over here for the podcast, you said, do I need to bring anything with me? And I said, you remember yeah, what yeah, I said? Yeah. I said, just bring your spirit of hope. I think that's yeah, what you're known yeah, for. Yeah, yeah, the hope. It kind of precedes you. Yeah. Yeah, I think your, your, your vision is to build a better world, not only for your children and grandchildren, but through education, through working at the school here, for everybody who, who can come and put some effort in. And we will meet them. You're probably like me. I don't say we'll meet you halfway. I'll meet you 90% of the way. (laughs) I'll come all the way to the edge. Yeah, we'll go out of our way, right, to meet you where you're at. Right. Um, And and that's that's what's unbelievable about our staff, Jim, Mm -hmm. is that we literally will go out of our way to make sure that your needs are met, right? And and you did something. um, I don't know if you remember this. I was in Mm. the front desk, and you... um, you said, yeah, I have waters, right? Oh, yeah. And fr- from that, because um, it had been in my oh, heart, like yeah. we need we need to give more mm-hmm. to our students. And so we started, pu- you know, filling out, got a re- little refrigerator yep. with waters. It goes a long way, <laughs> right? Simple, yeah. simple things like that, like of basic necessity. Somebody might be thirsty or feeling certain way yeah. and they get a, a, a drink of water. Like, yeah. You know, simple. Simple hospitality. Yeah. And we were talking earlier about we have a, a very um, wide variety of types of students, if you will. We have great diversity on campus yes. here. But I know the thing you hone in on with everybody is just you zero right in on the dignity of the human person. Yes. You look past and not beyond, but you look deeper into the core of every person, as you said, like somebody rolling up to our desk or anybody on campus. I know you see them as the future leaders of our yes. of our society. And I think that's how you... If I didn't know you, I would say you're so hospitable on campus. It's like maybe you have a degree in hospitality, but in fact, you have a degree in social work and other things. So talk to us a little bit about your college journey, because you have come by economic standards a long way, right, yes. from poverty. Um, we don't have you, you can tell your, what of your story you want. But I know I know the stories of migrant workers in America and they live on dirt floors yeah. for much of their life and they are not um, they don't have access to education. So the fact that you've gone from that place all the way to a doctorate and an influencer, a leader on a college campus. Tell us a little bit about how you got started in college. And then I'm curious about what the difficulties were in that, too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. For migrant workers, for those folks that are that are listening to us, uh, Latinos in general have a low graduation rate. Mm. But it's even higher for migrant workers because we move so much that we don't. We're not in school that much. So my journey, 
you know, I couldn't read or write um, coming into college. Um, wow. It was just so terrible. Yeah. Um, but but I had a work ethic that was unbelievable, right? And I think that's what got me. Yeah. And I always share this story because um, it just shows you that it doesn't matter where you come from. Mm. I remember being dropped off at college with two trash bags, right? And, yeah. And uh, my roommate from West Bloomfield um, had a full truck full wow. of everything, right? TV, refrigerator, loft, wow. everything. And I here you have me who had never slept in a bed, and and I slept in floors my entire yeah. childhood, and so just setting the stage like it's like uh, it, it was my faith really that got me through. There's nothing yeah. nothing else that I can attribute to to my success, but just getting there, showing up to class, everybody laptops, and I I don't even have the necessary tools to yeah. compete. Yeah, but I think. Um, my parents, you know, gave me faith and hard work yeah. and, and the humility to, uh, to be able to be successful. So they, they gave me the tools and um, I graduated in four years. You know, I, I don't know <laughs> how, how that's even possible when you're, you're so behind. Yeah. Um, but I worked hard, right? And, yeah. and there was a lot of tears, a lot of, you know, scars that I still wear from, from the difficulties yeah. of being in class and and not feeling like I belong um and you know with some of the smartest people you know that might have gone to boarding schools that might have gone to really good public schools but again none of that really matters I think when you have faith and and you also have your why like why are you there yeah because it is going to get hard but um that kind of determination of of doing this what kind of got me what what would you have said if i would have caught you as a young man of 20 or 21 and i said hey why are you doing this what would you have answered back then maybe it's the same answer now but what was your why while you were in college yeah and my why was different right um at that point when i came to college my sister myra was a a student she was a, a junior and um my parents basically sent me to go take care of her yeah so my why was just to get through so Myra could graduate. And then my oh, plan was to wow. go back home, right? Wow. So this was never the plan. It wasn't for even me. for yourself. No, oh it, it was it was like a, an order. My dad and mom said, hey, go. Yeah. Um, I, I even graduated early, Jim. I graduated in three years. So wow. I was 16 years old my with goodness. with with not 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 because I was like super smart. Graduated high school early. Yeah. Graduated So early. that you could get to college to, to get, watch get over your sister. Yep. And wow. so my why... That was my why is to, to just, but I didn't even take care of Myra. You know, Myra was the one taking care of me. Yeah. Um, but what happened is my dad passed my, mm. my, my sophomore year. That was devastating. It was yeah. probably the, one of the worst setbacks of my life. But I also wouldn't be here if it wasn't for, for that experience. Really? Because um, I was very antisocial. I didn't have any friends last two years. Okay. Um, I was kind of a loner. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a mission to, to be there. Yeah. But when my dad passed and I was in Mexico, I saw so many people, mm. heard so many stories of how amazing he was. And I wow. knew he was amazing because yeah. nobody had to tell me. But what he was doing outside, like mm-hmm. providing funds for people to wow. to like survive, taking them clothing, yeah. um, everything. He was like a superhero. Wow. And um, and so that, that was life changing. And then I'm trying to fill his shoes now, right? Yeah. Like, my why changed after that. Yeah. Like, I promised him that I would get the highest degree, did it not knowing what that meant. Wow. You know, and so that's why when you have that kind of why, you there's no way you can fail. Yeah. Those strike me as particularly personal 
and powerful wise compared to, and I don't really mean to knock somebody otherwise I've heard, but we both met students who show up and they go to college because they want to get rich yeah. or in some cases they want to get a credential so they can become a celebrity or something. It's kind of superficial, although there can be really deep whys behind why they want those things. Mm-hmm. But on the superficial level, those I don't think drive students hard enough probably or motivate them strong enough to really persist mm-hmm. in college. I think what you're describing is a connection to your family and then a desire to carry on a legacy because your father had started a legacy yes, and it impacted hundreds and by them thousands of people. And I think that's probably what your why is more now today. Yes. Is, is that right? And it's like, a, um, like I'm, I'm a farmer, right? And you, you, you yeah. earlier, you talked about that. I, I planted seeds, like literally tobacco, strawberries. Yeah. Literally planted seeds. And we see the, the fruit and vegetable and we pick it. Yeah. And, and it's an unbelievable, I mean, that's like, like a God thing, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, the creation and the whole development and, and it has to do with the soil, with the water, how much it rains. Um, and so you translate to what we do now, right? And it's planting seeds in, in mm. students, it's mm-hmm. planting seeds in, in anybody that is is near me, like I'm entrusted with that. Like yeah. people are like flowers or like seeds. Yeah. And uh, there's this amazing quote that one of my, my, my friends said, in order to understand the flower, you must study the seed, right? And mm. and there is seeds that even grow in cracks of concrete yeah. that can can be successful. And I think that's my philosophy when they come in here to us. Yeah. It doesn't matter if if people call it a bad seed or a good seed. Like yeah. if if you put the right pieces, mm-hmm. they're gonna bloom, right? Or where that seed got rooted, where it got started. You know, yes. you can you can't have a beautiful flower grow from a crack in the sidewalk, if you will, That's rather right. than fertile soil, if you will. That's right. I think you and I both work really hard to try to make LCC fertile soil for people, yes. for students. Yes. Um, but we know they're coming to us from not good soil. Let's put it that way. They're coming from really rough backgrounds, mm-hmm. home life, um, neighborhoods, etc. So what have you... I think you've shared a little bit here too. What I like to ask people is what stopped you from almost graduating from college and how did you get through it? But it sounds like there were lots of things. So I don't know if you want to expand on that any further, but was there a point in your mind? There probably wasn't where you said, I, I'm not going to finish. You, oh yeah. You, all the time. Jim. Oh really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All the time, Jim. And I, I experienced uh, so much, you know, people, t- you know, telling me uh, that I didn't belong or, or, you know, there's so much, so much uh, doubt, you know, especially yeah. when you can't call somebody and say, because a lot of people in my community hadn't done it right. And yeah. I'm trying to do something that that hasn't been done. And so luckily okay. I had good mentors that okay. kind of said, go back in there, keep fighting. But it's a, it's a lonely place. Yeah. You, know? I, I, you know, you hear this thing of it's less crowded at the top and yeah. it is less crowded, but it is also very lonely. Yeah. You know, it's a very lonely place. I think what what's kept my my mental and everything mm-hmm. is that I'm so connected to the people at the bottom too. Mm-hmm. You know, and I I don't forget my why. Yeah. And I think that's that's important. Wow. You know. Well, you're you're pointing out to me here that here I've made the mistake of seeing somebody on the outside who's so positive and hopeful and courageous uh, and daring <laughs> and then assuming it must be easier for you. <laughs> Because that's just kind of my read. But of course it wasn't. I'm sure you faced all kinds of discrimination, first yes. of all. For those of you who aren't seen on the vodcast, you can probably tell from Felipe's name. He's, he's, not, um, he's non-white. Yeah. So being in a large city full of white students and other people, 
I don't know how much external racial discrimination you faced in school, but I'm sure it was um, a factor as well. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And as as farm worker, right, I, I saw so many so many things, you yeah. know. I think one of the the biggest one that that still to this day hurts me is um and me and my sisters talk about mm-hmm. it, but we were all working in Coloma, Michigan. Mm-hmm. And um my dad was already sick. He was probably mm-hmm. in in his late fifties. Mm-hmm. Um and we were working hoeing, you know. So I, for yeah. those of you listening, the we weren't using the the long one. We were using the small ones on your okay. on your knees. Yeah. 100 degrees weather and um and this farmer like my dad was already throwing up in the field and he was so mean to him he was so rude to my dad like it still hurts me uh thinking about it i still probably cry because i couldn't defend them you know as an eight nine year old so now i have an obligation that if i see somebody being mistreated or something it's it's a no-brainer i'm gonna step in and i'm gonna um be a voice you know and i think i've tried to do that throughout my 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 career you know mm-hmm. just being a voice when even if it, if you're in a table of 12 mm-hmm. and you're the only one going up against everything mm-hmm. i still have because of that experience i have the mm-hmm. the willingness to engage mm-hmm. you know and speak up it's like you make sometimes we use this phrase interval like you made an interval at some point as a young man i will never let anyone first of all you would have never let anyone speak to your father that way again yes. you would without intervening in some way yeah. But since he's passed now, you, you've taken that charge on for any person. Yeah. I will not I will not stand idly by. And of course, you were a seven-year-old yeah. boy. What could you have done? But I won't stand by while someone is being disparaged, humiliated. Yeah. I won't dig deep into it. But I can just picture how brutal oh, yeah, uh, migrant was... farmers are treated. How brutally, yeah. Yeah. And no, that, that, that that's, it's traumatic, right? And yeah. we're talking about mental health and everything. Yeah. Like... I, I wouldn't have been able to share that if I didn't write it, right? Like, so yeah. in writing my book, mm-hmm. it was healing. It was like, it was, um, I mean, it took like 10, 15 years to write that thing, mm-hmm. but it was through tears. And, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes I would write, maybe I wrote that passage and I couldn't write for two years mm-hmm. um, because it was so deep, you mm-hmm. know? And, and, you know, for anybody listening, like we all have trauma, generational mm-hmm. trauma, mm-hmm. And it's okay. It's it. It shouldn't define who we are. We just have to find ways to heal, mm-hmm. you know. And sometimes talking to a therapist mm-hmm. helps. Sometimes writing, journaling. Yeah. I mean, there's various methods of doing that. <laughs> so maybe one thing you wouldn't recommend is doing what you did the first couple of years of college, which is isolating. Yes, that's probably exactly 180 degrees from where. I, 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 dare, I will dare say where we need to go. That sounds a little prescriptive because sometimes we need to isolate to protect ourselves. That, that is also a, it is a strategy and it can save our lives sometimes. But in the end, it needs to be, you need to turn around and go toward other people. Yeah. And, and, and you know, sometimes you don't have the tools, right? Like yeah. there's people that don't have the tools. Like, I mean, I'm very different than I was back in when, when I was younger. Yeah. I know so much more now. Yeah. But um, I've heard of the law of attraction, right? You mm. attract whatever energy yeah. you put out. Yeah. And so I was attracting all, every, anybody that looked at me, I thought, you know, I wanted to fight. I'm like, yeah. oh, they're looking at me kind of like, like despicable, right? Yeah. So it was that trauma. Yeah. Um, now, if somebody looks at me a, a certain way, I just, I, I don't internalize it. I'm like, okay, it's, it's just they're having a bad day. Um, yeah. I feel, I feel bad. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, you, you now have sympathy. Sympathy. Empath- yeah. You have sympathy because you know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I think hopefully that is a transition that people make from 
that quick snap judgment that leads to anger into when someone's acting out, even like this farmer who's disparaging your dad or others, it's pitiable really, isn't it? It's a pitiable thing to have to, that you are stooping so low to speak to another human being that way or whatever, that we have sympathy and not anger, but it's sort of a righteous sympathy. Like you need healing. Yeah. And we don't know, right. What people go through. I mean, every single day. Right. And I, and we, as we were walking over here, I told you like, even if people are mean to me, like I'll just give them the other cheek, right? Like yeah. I, I just, uh, I don't know what people are going through, and so yeah. having that that sympathy and and mm-hmm. and understanding, mm-hmm. um, and again, I don't know everything about leadership, but what I do know is that humans are our most valuable asset in this whole planet, and yeah. so if we don't treat them right, yeah. we don't treat our kids right, um, then we we're we're losing a huge mm-hmm. opportunity. Mm-hmm. So for me, um, you know, humans are everything. And mm-hmm. so, I mean, you know this. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm not just saying mm-hmm. this. You, mm-hmm. you see it every day with, with us working together mm-hmm. is that, you know, and even with students, right? Like they're so valuable yeah. asset to our community here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just trying to, I'm zooming back out a little bit and noticing this conversation is a lot about mindset, about your mindset in particular and how you've cultivated that in a certain direction. And I think when you were a young man, you can look back and see like your mindset was determined and focused and you probably were going to, you could have conquered anything at that point in your life. But your mindset now is one of, it's softer somehow. Your mindset is softer, more flexible, more open, more loving and forgiving. Could I say that? Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, I wanted to fight everybody. Right. I I was so angry. I was so angry at the discrimination. I was so angry at how they treated us in school. Yeah. Um, I was just angry. I mean, and when you're working, you know, the 16, 18 hour shifts as a 12 year old and your back is all busted and yeah. your body's all hurt. Yeah. And, um, and I realized that we were just so dispensable. Like they could mm-hmm. just get rid of us. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. how can you not? And it's okay to be angry. Yeah. Um, but at some point, um, I, if I had that attitude, I wouldn't be where I'm at either. Yeah. You would, you know, that that requires growth and sometimes pain, right? When yeah. I lost my father and I lost my brother and I've lost family mm-hmm. along the way at a very young age, like that, you know, there's a pivotal point where you can grow, have a yeah. mind grow yeah. or, or just cave in and, and continue to have that mentality. So I'm going to press you if I can a little for a how. And we have a few more minutes left, but what could you say to, to people listening? Because I think people would be desirous of moving on to a more healthy li- mindset. I think many people who are walking out angry are not happy being that angry. Yes. How did you make that pivot? Yeah, I think, um, like I said, I think once I I had something to live for, mm. you know, because I, I would probably be working right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I know exactly where I would be right now, probably working the same route okay. that all my my entire oh, life did yeah. forever my family yeah, yeah. so i i would probably be doing that um but for those people that are angry that are not happy try to figure out why what what is your why right mm-hmm. like what what and then have some some goals some dreams right mm-hmm. even if they seem impossible mm-hmm. i think that um you know you could have the best education you can have the best everything but if you don't have a direction you're gonna end up lost Mm -hmm. right so i i would recommend that Mm. that you hold on to something Mm -hmm. right and um and then invest in yourself like whether it's reading whether it's 
mentoring, getting folks that can can help you. Um, because it's hard to get out of it on your own. You, yeah. you need you need support. Yeah. And and for those you know people that come to our college, we have so many resources. You know That's this, true. Jim. Like we have so many great people here. Yeah. We I mean I'm not gonna name them all, but mm-hmm. you know especially in in um, student affairs, mm-hmm. West Campus, all of our mm-hmm. prom people want to help you. Yeah. Um, all you have to do is look for it, ask for it, mm-hmm. and and we will will help you through that journey. So. I think just locking in into what is that that you want to accomplish and then find the resources. We're here. Yeah. We're here to help. And so I think that, that I would say that just have a goal and then go after it, right? Yeah. Like whether people laugh at you or it, it doesn't matter. I always think of, um, of uh, and I don't mean to get all spiritual or anything, okay. but like Noah. Yeah when he built that ark and mm-hmm. everybody laughed at him and, right. and there's like, there's no water, <laughs> right? There's no <laughs> rain. There's the no desert. rain clouds. Yeah. Yeah. You're in the <laughs> desert. What are you doing, man? Building uh, a giant ship. Yeah. yeah. But when you have that, that's kind of how it feels like I'm, I'm, I'm obeying to my, mm-hmm. my life and, mm-hmm. and regardless of who laughs or who supports or who doesn't, like, yeah. I'm going to stay focused. You're going to stay focused. Yeah. yeah. Uh, maybe I'll wrap this up and I'll put, I'll put in the show notes for our listeners, uh, links to Victor Frankl's book, man's search for meaning. Yes. And then maybe also uh, a link to Simon Sinek, who talks about why in the context of the golden circle. So if you want to learn more about those, but Victor Frankl was the the gentleman you, uh, he was a psychiatrist who wrote Man's Search for Meaning after he came out of the Holocaust as a Jewish Holocaust survivor. And he survived in the concentration camps, both Dachau and Auschwitz. He was a physician and he, while he was there, he said, I'm not going to die because it's my job to keep people alive. Right. And sometimes that meant he was cutting an aspirin tablet that he would find into four pieces and going through a bunkhouse of 100 men deciding who gets a quarter of an aspirin today. But his why kept him alive and and created this massive philosophy we use in psychotherapy called logotherapy. But yeah, thank you for sharing that. That why is so important. And we'll link some information to that in the show notes. And as you highlighted, you know, if if students want one on one help with counseling to help find their why or any support, please come to our office. LCC offers, you know, for currently enrolled students, we offer free one on one counseling. It's personal. It's confidential. It's not a part of your student record. And you can learn more at lcc.edu slash counseling. So thank you, Felipe, for coming and talking with us. I really appreciate that. No, thank you so much Jim, for the opportunity. Yeah. All right. We'll see you next time on The Headroom, everyone. Sharing the voices of Lansing Community College. Visit us at lccconnect.org. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. Lansing Community College's downtown and west campuses offer conference and event spaces that can accommodate over 500 attendees. LCC offers hybrid meeting capabilities, in-house catering, free event parking, and on-site customer service. For more information about LCC's conference and event spaces, visit lcc.edu and search conference. I'm Ben Affleck, and I want to thank you for joining me and supporting Paralyzed Veterans of America. I joined the Navy to serve my country as a Navy SEAL. While parachuting with my platoon, my parachute didn't open. And I broke my neck. It left me paralyzed. Paralyzed Veterans of America was by my side from that moment on. Since 1946, Paralyzed Veterans of America has kept a promise to our wounded veterans. We will never leave a fallen comrade behind. Thanks to PVA, 
paralyzed veterans are getting specialized medical care and treatments. The benefits they've earned, the jobs they want, and the accessible vehicles and homes they need. I just don't think my family would be as happy as they are without the support that I received from Paralyzed Veterans of America. Our veterans fought for us. Let's fight for them. To learn more, go to pva.org today. The Modern Warehousing Program through the Job Training Center at Lansing Community College is an industry-led program that prepares individuals for frontline material handling and supply chain logistic positions in medical centers, fulfillment centers, warehouses, and factories. Those who complete this program can earn multiple certifications. Visit lcc.edu slash jtctraining for more information. This is WLNZ Lansing. You're listening to LCC Connect, a weekly program that features the voices, vibes, and vision of Lansing Community College. To find out more about LCC Connect programs or to listen on demand, visit us at lccconnect.org. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. Vision. 